0: Welcome to America the Bizarre. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch.
1: And I'm Jeremy. And
0: this is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today.
1: Yes. Just like you and I.
0: <laughs> oh, beautiful weirdos. Yes. Since day one. Uh-huh. So we hope that you all had a great Thanksgiving. We definitely ate too much.
1: Yes. A lot of food was had. <laughs> yeah kind of got home sunday night and was like, "Oh man, I need to go on a diet. <laughs> I can't wait till after <laughs> Christmas. This is uh this is going to be a rough year if I wait till Christmas." So, <laughs> I
0: did kind of like this year because we made plans for all of these appetizers and then we kind of ran out of time making them before actual Thanksgiving dinner. So, we got to spread out the Nice Thanksgiving appetizers throughout the weekend. Yeah. That was pretty bomb. It it was nice to drag that out a little bit and to have good new food. Fresh, fresh, fresh food, freshly made food (laughs) throughout the weekend instead of just (laughs) reheating the same plate of mashed potatoes and stuffing. Yeah. Yeah. So, presidential trivia this week is which president is the only president to have a PhD?
1: Doctor President, Doctor President, President Doctor.
0: I yeah I don't know Doctor I would say Doctor President,
1: President Doctor. Hmm.
0: Which one of those presidents looks the most highly educated to you? None of them. They're politicians. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's that's an awful joke, but uh, um. <laughs> A lot
0: of them have Juris Doctorates, but only one has a PhD.
1: Oh, a, a PhD or an MD?
0: They have a PhD.
1: Oh, it's not an MD. It's not an MD. Okay. Doctors of the Law. There's a lot of those, but there's no PhDs. One PhD. God, I don't know. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say Eisenhower. Okay. Did I get it? No. Am I two for 61?
0: (laughs) You're still one for 60. Well, now one for 61. But I'll let you know the answer is at the end of the episode.
1: Right. We were talking about that in my my track record of... Presidential guesses.
0: I, you know what? I still think that it's pretty good for having 44
1: options. Right. Because they're not eliminating each week. So. Right,
0: yeah. We've definitely reused
1: Same presidents. presidents. So I feel like there's some presidents that we've never asked questions about, yeah, too. Some
0: of them have just... I feel like some of them are... I don't know. It would like give it away too easy, or... Yeah, or we're getting to him, or yeah. they just does it. They didn't have as much weird stuff right. as the other ones. At least written down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure every every president was a freak in his own way, but right. freaky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ready for this week's story? You got your eggnog.
1: Yeah, ready. I got my my holiday eggnog ready. You got your tea. I've got my hot tea. Yeah, let's do this.
0: John Wetner Janisch was born on December 7th, 1924. John Mm -hmm. was very smart, but he was also very arrogant. His teacher at Eagle River High in Wisconsin said of John that he was a brilliant student, having the mental capabilities of a college sophomore while still a junior in high school. But he was unpopular with schoolmates because he considered them beneath him as to intelligence and social standing. (laughs) Ah,
1: yes, the best best of both worlds. He's smart and pretentious. Yes. (laughs) So he didn't have a lot
0: of friends. And John was not only ostracized in high school because of his ego, but also because he was of German descent who sympathized with Hitler and the Nazis.
1: In high school, born in 24, I mean... Oh, yeah. So it was like perfect prime time. It was time just for like
0: right. It was right when people were like, that's not the worst f- time to hate the Nazis. It's right before the worst time to hate the Nazis. Uh, yeah. But people were still pretty yeah. suspicious of Hitler and the yeah, Nazis. It, yeah, yeah. And especially because his, I believe his father was from Germany. Right. They're like, eh, that's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like that. Yeah. John left high school early, and he enrolled into University of Chicago in their early admission program. While attending the University of Chicago, he began to shorten his name to BJ. So even though that's his last name, yeah. he just decided that that's what everybody was going to call him. was BJ. BJ. Which...
1: I won't make the innuendo <laughs> joke there, <laughs> not but... Not
0: the best nickname to choose for yourself.
1: Right. I feel like more people like... Old Hammer Dog or, you know. Like, yeah. They come up with, like, not like a, I don't know.
0: I always kind of laugh, though, too, when people make up nicknames for themselves. hmm there's this girl in college and her last name is Buckley and she for the longest time t- for the longest time tried to get us to call her Bucks and we had to be like we're not doing that <laughs> we're not calling you Bucks <laughs> it's a terrible nickname you're not going to make us do it
1: <laughs> Yeah people got to people got to have some dirt on you f- to call her that like, <laughs> yeah. you know there's got to be a story behind yeah, that Yeah but
0: that was the one she chose for herself and that's not even like a good nickname Yeah when America joined World War II after Pearl Harbor, the Selective Training and Service Act was amended to require that men 18 years and older register for the draft. Hmm. Before it was 21, and then World War II started and they made it 18. When B.J. turned 18, he registered. However, he failed to report to draft board number 9 for induction on November 13,
1: 1943. But uh, draft
0: dodger. Yep, and he was arrested a month later. He tried to say he'd Dodged it because he was a pacifist, but
1: conscientious abductor.
0: So he was also, I believe, atheist, mm. either agnostic or atheist. Yeah. And so he, but he was like, But I'm a path, this or but I'm a pacifist. And they're like, Yeah, you gotta have like a real religion, yeah, to claim that. So
1: we just, I actually literally just studied this in con law, too. Really? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's like a pretty low standard, like, you just have to believe. You have to have, like, a genuine belief in something. Yeah. You know? Like, it's pretty crazy because, like, the whole, like, freedom of religion thing that gets it gets really tricky where, you know, you, you get the freedom of expression and then... uh shit. This is... Hopefully my com law professor doesn't listen to this. But <laughs> it's the freedom of expression and I can't even think of what the other one's called. Anyways, yeah, freedom of religion, right? Like, the government's, like, it's in this, like, conundrum, this Catch-22 of, like, we can't regulate it, but we can't regulate against religion, and so, like, it's kind of like one of those, like, super black hole areas of law where they're just, like,
0: the, the rules cases. are all twisted in yeah. gray areas. Well, they, and they
1: just, like, they fall on some pretty crazy stuff sometimes, you know? Fall on some particular facts that the court's like, ah, this is our way out of here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, he was arrested because they're like, eh, that's not gonna fly with us. mm mm-hmm. And BJ, wa- uh, he waived his right to a jury trial and was subsequently found guilty and sentenced to three years in federal prison. Mm. Again, I don't believe it helped him that he was German and a Hitler sympathizer. Right. In any of this. He served six months at a low security prison until he was paroled and allowed to serve the rest of his sentence in community service. After getting out of prison, BJ took a job working as an orderly in the neuropsychiatric ward at the University Hospital in Ann Arbor, while also taking classes at the University of Michigan. In BJ's employment file, it said that Mr. Yonish is undoubtedly a very sick boy and one who should never have been employed in the Neuropsychiatric Institute. His own personal problems were such as to make it very difficult for him to work in such a situation. Huh. We have advised this boy to seek psychiatric advice and believe that he has some intentions of following advice. So...
1: He's unstable.
0: He's unstable.
1: And they know it.
0: And I'm not sure what happened.
1: That they that, that, led, they, to the
0: that led to that review in his yeah. employment file, but it yeah. couldn't have been good.
1: No, I can't imagine so. I like, don't know
0: if it's just because he's so narcissistic that they're like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I, so I don't know.
1: Yeah, if it's that, say basic or simple, but right, you know, like he was even at a young age.
0: Yeah. So, BJ was shortly let go after that, because you don't really stay at a job for much longer when they give you that kind of review. Yeah,
1: especially in the 40s. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And he then moved to New York City to start working at Mount Sinai Hospital, and then Sydenham Hospital, while taking psychology classes at Columbia University.
1: Is this a story about a serial killer? Does he become a serial killer?
0: I'm not telling you.
1: Okay, yes. Go on.
0: (laughs) B.J. eventually ended back at the University of Chicago, where he graduated in 1948 with a degree in philosophy and a biological sciences degree in 1949. B.J. then enrolled in a graduate program in anthropology and received his Ph.D. in 1957. B.J. then moved to New Haven, Connecticut with his wife, Vina, and took an assistant professor position of anthropology at Yale. BJ began to make plans to travel to Africa to collect primate blood samples and bring back live monkeys for his research. BJ first traveled to Kenya during Christmas break of 1958 oh and God. 1959.
1: Is he like some sort of like...
0: You have no idea where this is going. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I, like, I'm thinking like Nazi sympathizer going to Africa to collect, like, what'd you call him?
0: Primate blood samples. Yeah.
1: Private blood samples, and now I'm just thinking, like, oh my god, this guy is totally a wacko. Well,
0: so to make you feel better, um, World War II is over, and when he realized that being a Nazi sympathizer wasn't a great look, he definitely seemed to change, at least his
1: outward appearances? Outward
0: appearances, well, that's like, not he the didn't one really... that you want
1: people to change. You want people <laughs> to change the inward appearance, yeah. like, in, in here. You, want, you yeah. want it to come from in here. Yeah. He said, pointing to his chest. <laughs>
0: yeah so like for the most part it seems that he changed his views at mm-hmm. least to people not sure if he really did right but when it became like very very not cool to me yeah <laughs> on the side of the nazis he decided to switch up oh like he was i guess people. twist my arm a little yeah Jeez. so from his trip to africa bj brought back baboons that he kept in the sub-basement of the peabody museum after his next few trips to Africa, BJ began to run out of room for his monkeys and lemurs and began to spread them out across campus.
1: Hmm. Yale... Sounds like something you would do. Like...
0: <laughs> oh,
1: pet monkeys.
0: Well, so he kept asking for room from Yale, and they're like, well, I guess there's like a broom closet here that you can stick one in, yeah. and that's kind of just kind of how he put his monkeys all over ca- campus. campus at, at Yale. B.J. was one of the first Americans to study the genetic makeup and blood chemistry of lemurs, and his lemurs became quite the oddity in New Haven. The New Haven Register often published articles about the lemurs escaping from their cages and climbing onto the tops of the campus buildings and, like, doing their little lemur calls. Mm. (laughs) Once, a pregnant lemur escaped through a window and climbed a drainpipe up onto the fourth story of a building. The fire department had to be called to get her down And PJ couldn't coax her down himself.
1: Yeah,
0: and it was more like people were getting annoyed by the lemurs. Yeah, like they weren't cool with lemurs <laughs> just running around Yale.
1: Right. This is an inst. This is a. This is a. This is a house of learned doctors. <laughs> <Yeah>. Stepbrothers. <laughs> this is. a...
0: <laughs> and see me. I think I'd be mostly excited to see a lemur.
1: On On campus,
0: yeah, depends. Depends what the situation is because I do get scared of animals. I just remember this really fat squirrel on our college campus at the University of Idaho, and it was very, very fat, and it was chewing on a chicken bone, and it let me get really close. (laughs) I had to walk by it, and it literally let me get, like, you gave two... Th-
1: it, you gave it a wide berth, didn't I you? I was trying, but yeah. I had
0: to, like, walk by it to get into the door, and it let me get into, like, two- within two feet of it, and I was like, this squirrel's gonna attack me. Like, <laughs> it's got enough girth,
1: yeah. and, then, like, <laughs> and it had a shot. Yeah,
0: It was eating a chicken bone <laughs> while staring at me. <laughs> In 1964, BJ went to Duke University to give a talk on lemurs. A biologist named Peter Klopfer attended the lecture and introduced himself to BJ afterwards. Peter studied the mother-child relationship between goats, and he invited BJ to come look at the land where he kept his goats. BJ was instantly envious of the large amount of land Peter had for his goats when he had only small cages for his lemurs back at Yale. BJ knew that he could study lemurs' personalities and behaviors better if they weren't caged. So BJ got a job at Duke... Where he could allow his lemurs to move around more freely, and Peter was then able to study the mother baby bonding in lemurs b j kept the ninety lemurs he brought from Yale in Peter's goat barn Jesus. like while they' were be while they were building the enclosure, yeah, cause lemurs can range from one ounce to twenty pounds like. Depending, ten? depending on like how old they are, and depending what type of lemur they are, yeah. So and they can also climb and jump and all this stuff. So to build an enclosure that will keep all of the lemurs in, yeah, is quite the task. Yeah, goats are hard to keep in enclosures. <laughs> lemurs
1: <laughs> we, even more so.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it took about a year for a proper habitat to be built for the lemurs on the land which was the beginning of what is now known as the Duke Lemur Center.
1: Hmm.
0: So it's still there.
1: Is it really? Yeah,
0: so you can go look at lemurs if you're at Duke.
1: Nice. Which state would I be in?
0: North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) I hope. (laughs) It's Durham.
1: Durham. Go, uh, oh god, (laughs) go basketball, huh? (laughs) Duke, I know they make it to the March Madness. I know they're really good
0: at basketball, (laughs) shows you how much I care about basketball,
1: right? Oh man, uh, Duke. University In Durham, North Carolina. Yes,
0: I got the right Carolina. I knew it was one of those Carolinas.
1: Oh, I should know this too. It's a Methodist. It was founded by Methodists.
0: BJ quickly made himself stand out on Duke's campus. BJ wore horn-rimmed glasses and bright suits with a button that read, I'd rather be in Paris. His hair was cut short and dyed blonde. He would sometimes sign his letters, Lemur Logically Yours. Hmm. Which I don't know if that's annoying or, <laughs> funny. or funny. I I think I get annoyed uh, at it's it. BJ he's yeah, a pretentious oh, prick, Yeah, like. that weirdo. Yeah. Pretentious weirdo BJ. BJ and Vina often left Durham and flew to New York to go to the opera, and BJ called Durham a cultural backwater. Again, he's just full of himself, thinks he's too good for Durham, keeps going back, keeps going Uh, to New York to go to
1: the uh, opera. To be entertained. Yes, exactly. He said with his pinky in the air. Yeah. All right, guy, we get it. You're too cool for us.
0: So obviously his ego is still very large and he was bumping a lot of heads at Duke, but still, his career. but still his career really started to take off there. His students voted him one of the best professors on campus, and he published his first textbook, Origins of Man. Vina still worked in BJ's lab, and was often the one supervising the research while BJ was off having fun. A lot of people think that Vina was really so the on one So on Rate that My m-
1: Professor, he would be probably get like a five for recommended take. Yeah. Did you ever use that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, difficulty three, cause it's not, like, super easy, but at the same time, like, he's not one of those professors that everybody, like, hates that he wrote the, the textbook for his own class. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those guys.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I've had a few of them that are all right.
0: Yeah. But for the most part, it seems that Vina was actually the, kind of the mastermind behind the lemur research and not BJ. Yeah. But he got all of the credit, so...
1: She probably wrote the textbook, too? Yeah,
0: she probably did. Uh,
1: Weird. Man taking credit for a woman's work. In
0: 1973, after BJ, he kept asking more and more money from Duke, and eventually they said no, he took a job at NYU. But he had to leave his lemurs behind at Duke. BJ would sometimes travel back to Durham to collect blood samples from the lemurs that he could then study back in New York. Vina and BJ were loving their life in New York until Vina started having stomach issues. Her doctors couldn't come up with any answers, so they convinced, pregnancy. huh?
1: Was it pregnancy?
0: No, it wasn't pregnancy. <laughs> so they convinced Vina to undergo exploratory surgery to find out what was going on. Vina did not survive the exploratory surgery and um, died on the table.
1: Uh. I feel like it's always bad if they're like, well, we don't know what's going on with you. Let's open you up. Yeah. You know, super grateful for modern medicine.
0: Yeah. And it seemed to take everybody by shock because she seemed, you know, young, fairly fairly young, fairly healthy. She just had some stomach pains and they're like, oh, it's just exploratory surgery. See what we can see. And then she like doesn't make it through that surgery. Hmm. She
1: had something on BJ. (laughs) I don't think so. Okay.
0: But so without Vina there to do most of the work, the lemur research almost came to a complete halt.
1: <laughs> what? was yeah. shock faced
0: The National Science Foundation withdrew their funding, and BJ had to downsize his research considerably. BJ stopped coming to work regularly and started spending a lot of his free time in Greenwich Village visiting gay bars. At the lab, no one working with him knew exactly what he was studying or researching. Hmm. One day, BJ asked one of his undergraduate students named Richard Macris to come into the lab that Saturday, which Richard thought was weird because nobody's there on Saturday. When Richard arrived, BJ told him that they would be making N-acetylanthro... I'm going to say this slow. It's a big word.
1: Okay. (laughs) They would... They would make what? They would
0: be making n acetylanthranilic acid that would help the lemurs build antioxidants. Hmm. Richard, Why did they just
1: give him acai berries, <laughs> blueberries? Acai. acai, acai, or blueberries?
0: Some cherries,
1: dark chocolate covered acai berries. That's <laughs> yeah. what I eat for antioxidants. Right? <laughs>
0: That's what the bag says.
1: That's what the bag says. <laughs> from from Maverick yeah. Adventures, first stop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Richard was like, eh, that, like, that sounds pretty fishy to me, though. Yeah, like,
1: yeah.
0: me, your undergraduate student, come... Okay, that sounds something's, weird. Something's, something's going weird. on,
1: yeah.
0: And so Richard is suspicious, and he makes sure to take detailed notes of everything that's going on in the lab. hmm Richard told one of his other professors about what was going on, and that professor snuck into the lab when no one was there to take photos and gather chemical samples. That professor then sent those samples to the DEA. BJ was actually making methaqualone, metha-qualone or better known as quaaludes. <laughs> Do you remember watching Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. And he takes take so many quaaludes that he can't walk, and yeah. he's just dragging himself to his car? Yeah. Yeah, that's what BJ was making in the lab.
1: Uh, party drags. Uh. Yeah,
0: yep. So... Backstory for anybody that doesn't know what Quaaludes are or hasn't watched Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Quaaludes started out in the U.S. being used to treat insomnia and anxiety, but when doctors started prescribing them left and right, they quickly became abused.
1: That sounds like something I've heard of. Oh, yeah. What could that be? Like Like today, Yeah. Yeah. The (laughs) opiates? Yeah.
0: During the 70s, Quaaludes were known by the nickname Disco Biscuits.
1: (laughs) Right. Party drugs, party drugs,
0: <laughs> and became not only a popular party drug but a popular date rape drug as well. Mm. They're the same drug that um, Bill Cosby used.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah.
0: The D.A.A. also found traces of LSD and what seemed to be a synthesized form of cocaine. Oh, really? So PJ's, like making all so he's of the a good chemist. Stuff. Yeah, he's got that <laughs> done. Pretty good for somebody with degree in anthropology. Well, he had biological. What was it? Yeah, he had an undergrad in biology. Yeah, they didn't. I had but a biology undergrad degree. They did not teach degree. me how to make
1: quaaludes. Yeah, and...
0: exactly. I had an undergrad biology degree. We did what not go this, over party guys. What trust. was his name?
1: Murdoch. No. What was his name? The biology professor that we both had?
0: Oh. Gosh.
1: He taught all the biology. He was like the biology and professor. And he
0: had like the most monotone did, voice and the he world. He definitely did
1: not teach us how to make party drugs. No, he did not. class. If
0: anything, I and if he did, I, he might have. And I was asleep <laughs> for it. I like would force myself to sit in the front row of his class so I wouldn't fall asleep. And I'd still fall asleep in that class. It's <laughs> like, I don't know what to do anymore. yeah no. <laughs> It's so soothing in here. Okay.
1: <laughs> These nice soft hardwood chairs. Yeah. Desks.
0: So, the DEA immediately opens up an investi- an investigation into BJ.
1: Yeah. Obviously. Obviously.
0: Some of BJ's students knew that they were making drugs and some were blissfully unaware. Yeah. It's kind of a mix of who was cool yeah. enough to be to be in on it yeah. or who was smart enough to figure out that they were making drugs. Right. BJ knew that the DEA would be interrogating the students. So he told his students that if they knew that they were about to be questioned, they should take tranquilizers right before so they would be relaxed and could pass a lie detector test even if they were not telling the truth. Don't worry, just shoot yourself in the butt with this right before you go in. Here's this (laughs) rifle.
1: Take this rifle. (laughs)
0: It's not suspicious at all. Shoot yourself in the (laughs) butt. Don't worry, I'll have a dart, blow dart gun right by the door, and I'll just shoot you right before you As go As you're in. walking in. Yeah. But unbeknownst mm-hmm. to BJ, one of the students he told to take a tranquilizer was wearing a wire, placed by the DEA. Oh. The DEA was able to charge BJ <laughs> with the manufacturing and possession of illicit substances and the obstruction of justice. BJ denied everything and pled not guilty. BJ stuck with his story that he was developing neurotoxins that he intended on using on his lemurs to study behavior modifications, and that he had developed this research with his friend at Duke, Peter Klopfer. So
1: dragging Peter in No, he's
0: a... throwing Peter under the bus. Yeah.
1: Peter's the one who likes the party drugs. I <laughs> exactly. mean, what? However, They're for the goats! <laughs> yeah.
0: So, however, no one at NYU had agreed to let BJ make these neurotoxins for this research because he had never brought it in front of them. They're like, well, we don't think this is a good story because he'd have to get add, approval. Get, get this research approved, and yeah. he definitely didn't ask and, and never got approved. Right. He was making drugs. Right. Yeah, so everyone knows that BJ was lying about making the drugs for the lemurs, but they just couldn't figure out why he would make... Party drugs, right? Was it because he was bored? He doesn't have a wife anymore. Was he, he just... the
1: house mom at a fraternity yeah. on campus? Maybe.
0: <laughs> was he doing it for money, or was he doing it just because he was full enough of himself that he thought he could get away with it? A what? lot of people thought it was just that last one.
1: To yeah. make drugs on university campus, that'd be like a professor today being like, "All right, kids, I need your help in the in the lab." We're making meth. I mean, we're making. <laughs> yeah. Why is there battery acid in 5,000 boxes of Sudafed?
0: Yeah, in ni- Don't worry about
1: it. <laughs> Just take some tranquilizer if anybody asks you questions. Yeah. In
0: 1980, BJ was convicted of conspiracy, making illegal drugs, and lying to federal investigators and he was sentenced to five years in federal prison by federal judge Charles Bryant. While in prison, BJ worked on the prison newspaper and reviewed book <laughs> manuscripts for friends, all in order to keep himself busy. Yeah. Um, Peter is actually still his friend, even though Not BJ really. tried to throw him under the bus. Uh. He was just kind of like, well, that's BJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I was listening to this interview, and Peter said he went to go, um, he went to go visit BJ, and his BJ's uh cell... He was
1: almost, he was in his 50s, almost his 60s when he was making...
0: When he was making drugs. Party drugs. Yes. Yeah. He's not he like, he's bored. not like this like, hip, like, young, late 20s, early 30s professor, like, <laughs> like...
1: young and naive, even, you know, like, yeah.
0: He, no, he knew exactly yeah. what he was doing. But, um, he said that his cell was basically set up like an office, and he was just... Like, still reading, like, scientific magazines and still doing as much research as one can do on lemurs without being in front of lemurs. Right. So he was trying to, like, keep himself in the know. Yeah. BJ continued to claim innocence and often wrote letters to friends that detailed how he had been mistreated. Yeah. And one letter... And let's
1: not forget this isn't his first time.
0: Being locked up.
1: Being locked up. Right. He's a hardened criminal.
0: In one letter, B.J. wrote that, upon his release, I will certainly take the most awful revenge upon certain people. The Greeks are correct. Blood is a corrective for many wrongs. B.J. was paroled in September 1983 and decided to return to Wisconsin and visit the places where he had grown up. In letters to his friends, he wrote that he was filling his time with baking, gardening, and visiting Lake Superior.
1: Which means
0: making meth. He's on the up and up. He's being, baking and gardening.
1: <laughs> which means making meth and trans- being a drug meal to transport black tie heroin. Yeah. And
0: <laughs> he also told friends that he was applying for grants so that he could return to Madagascar. But unfortunately, no universities would even give him a chance at a job huh. because you were making drugs at a university. Right. Nobody really wants to. Have that liability. <laughs>
1: you know what that kind of reminds me of, though. Like now, you just saying that, like again, like that's like when uh, uh, the goblet of fire, Harry Potter has to, like, he gets accused of stealing, like, all the ingredients to make the gillyweed out of Professor Snape's potions class. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a blank stare there. <laughs> Never mind.
0: There might be somebody that knows Harry Potter that listens, I'm sure. You can keep going. Was that the end of the story?
1: <laughs> but it's just like, I just like, so Professor Snape, he like instantly is like, why, this, why the hell are, do I have all these like weird ingredients going missing from my cupboard, you know? His potions cupboard. Uh-huh. And like, how does this guy just get all the shit to make quaaludes?
0: And um, like
1: all the other day, like I imagine he's getting it from a universe, and from a university resource, and
0: synthesized cocaine. Huh. I, I assume synthetic. that synthetic or synthetic, yeah, synth-
1: yeah, synthesized.
0: Um, I just assume that as like a professor, because I remember when I did like my internship stuff, it's like really easy to buy weird stuff when you're like working
1: For an institution.
0: Yeah, I mean the fact that like, I mean I don't know. I was just buying like heart cells, like. I mean, maybe that's easy, but that just seems like a weird thing to put an order for a man for, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't drugs, and
1: <laughs> was it my heart cells? No. Oh,
0: but that's cute. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was Aww. it was rat heart cells. <laughs>
1: so they were my heart cells.
0: No. <laughs> so no universities are going to hire him, and with no income, he hopped from friend to friend's house to sleep on their couches. And he would like pet sit and house sit and yeah. just kind of getting by. B-
1: but couch bumming.
0: Yeah, I mean he's like, an, like you said, he's an older dude. Um, the only thing in the eighties. Yeah, in he's the in 80s. his late
1: sixties.
0: Yeah, he's about sixty. This was like nineteen eighty three when he got out when he was paroled.
1: Oh, so he's fifty nine. Yeah, uh. but
0: still, he's in his sixties. All he's ever done is work for universities. Right. Other than that one bad stint at the hospital where <laughs> did not get a good review. Right. So he doesn't really know what to do right now. On February fourteenth, nineteen eighty seven, a woman received a box of Godiva chocolates that was addressed to her husband, Federal Judge Charles Bryant.
1: Mm.
0: And she was like, Ooh, chocolates from my husband. Oh, <laughs> from no. someone unknown. Inside of the box, there was a card that was signed only with a question mark. The judge's wife ate four pieces of chocolate when she began to feel extremely ill. Judge Bryant came home from work and found his wife passed out. He rushed her to the hospital, and she was in critical condition for several days, but ultimately survived.
1: He poisoned some chocolates?
0: So, Judge Bryant was the judge that sentenced him to prison for the drugs. Right. Yeah. The FBI looked into the case and found that each piece of chocolate in the box had been poisoned with a different toxin. So it's really like one of those you don't know what you're going to get Yeah. <laughs> kind of things. It's going to be cherry. Is it going to be arsenic? Coco- coconut. Yeah. <laughs> arsenic. Yeah. One of the... Un- the FBI said that one of the uneaten pieces in the box could have killed the judge's wife all on its own.
1: Jeez. So it's
0: really just like it was just lucky the four pieces mm, that she got. Yeah. yeah. The FBI dusted the Godiva box for Prince and came up with a match. On February 19th, BJ saw Mozart's opera Le Clemence de Tito at the Met. The opera is all about revenge and attempted murder. Mm -hmm. After the opera, he headed back to his friend's house that he was house-sitting for. When he got to the door, a group of police officers were there waiting for him and arrested him. Inside of the friend's house, there were chocolates and poisons all lined up on the counter. And the box of Godiva chocolates had been mailed from a mailbox just down the street from the house. Uh BJ had also sent poison chocolates to a former colleague at Duke University that had denied him tenure. Ooh. Likely that guy also survives. Authorities intercepted two other boxes sent by BJ before they reached their intended Wow recipient.
1: That's crazy.
0: Fortunately, everyone that had eaten the chocolates recovered. Yeah. BJ pled guilty to the attempted murder of Judge Bryant's wife and was... Or, he had pled guilty to the attempted murder of Judge Bryant. Yeah. And he was sentenced to 40 years in prison, but after pleading guilty, it was reduced to 20 years. In prison, BJ started working on a book about lemurs in Madagascar and continued exchanging letters with his friends. This
1: guy's crazy.
0: Well, a lot of people think that he... Wanted to go back to prison. Right. Because he was smart. And there was like just all of these things that just.
1: He was also lazy, though.
0: Yeah. It could have been lazy, but a lot of people think that he just didn't have any prospects. He was just ready to spend his whole life in prison because he did like like he left his fingerprint. He did it from the mailbox just down the street. He left chocolates and poison on the counter days after he made the boxes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, why wouldn't you just throw those away so that your roommate doesn't accidentally eat them and die?
0: Yeah. So people, like, they really think that he was just trying to get caught.
1: Yeah.
0: And he pled guilty right away, which he he didn't for the drugs.
1: Right, because he tried to play it off like it was the neurotoxins for the lemurs.
0: After being in prison for six years, BJ discovered that he had AIDS, which was a death sentence at the time. Near the end of his life, B.J. stopped eating and was force-fed until he died from pneumonia on July second, 1992, at the age of 67 in a prison hospital. B.J. was cremated and his ashes were spread on Cranberry Lake in Wisconsin.
1: Hmm. So he had family. Did he ever have kids?
0: No. No kids. My sources for the story are The Strange Case of the Mad Professor by Peter Coble. From Lemurs to Poison Chocolate The Tale of a Lemur Centered Center Founder by John Marcus John Wetner Yonish sixty seven dies. NYU Professor Poison Candy by Bruce Lambert. So that's the story of the Lemur Professor.
1: The Lemur Professor. And
0: qua- and quaaludes and poison chocolates. Yeah. See he didn't become a serial killer.
1: R- um, Not
0: technically he didn't kill anybody.
1: Tried to serially kill. He tried
0: to become a serial killer. But he failed.
1: Yeah. So he was in my book.
0: Okay. <laughs> so you kind of called it.
1: Yeah. Might not be good at presidential trivia, but boy, can I read a story.
0: <laughs> so
1: Foreshadow. T-
0: speaking of presidential trivia. Yeah. Which president was the only one to receive his PhD?
1: Oh, I said Eisenhower? Yeah. Uh, can I tell you what else? My, my Can I make a second guess? Sure. Monroe? No. Uh,
0: it was Woodrow Wilson.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yeah, he had a Ph.D. in history and political science from Johns Hopkins University. His doctoral dissertation was titled "Congressional Government: A Study in American Politics."
1: He looks like a Ph.D.
0: He looks nerdy enough. Yeah. To get a to do a Ph.D. Dr- yeah. dissertation. Yeah.
1: The bag's under his eyes. He's still recovering <laughs> yeah. years later from all the research that he had to do. <laughs>
0: now it's time for updates. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to give a quick little update. Jeremy and I are going to be taking a little break this holiday. So we won't be releasing any new episodes for the remainder of the year. We're just going to take this time to spend with family Enjoy the holidays, and I plan on doing a lot of reading next to a fire, cuddled up in a nice fuzzy blanket, doing research for all the stories that we'll be bringing you next year.
1: In 2021. In
0: 2021. I think it's just time to... I liked this story. It's time to end 2020 on a good note for America the Bizarre. Right. (laughs) Before anything else happens or gets too crazy. Yeah. Um, We will be...
1: Re-releasing.
0: releasing some of our favorite episodes and some of your guys' favorite episodes. Yeah. So look out for those. And now it's time for Jeremy updates.
1: Yeah, so we had a, a concerned listener who listened to one of the episodes and one of the updates and I, th- I think uh, misunderstood some information, both the way I put it out and then also uh, my understanding of what had happened. So the Boeing 737 Maxes actually aren't totally ungrounded yet they still got to go through a process they've been grounded for almost for a while now anyways and they've got a bunch of maintenance to go through because i've just been sitting in hangars and on tarmacs across the country and across you know across the the seven seas <laughs> so uh boeing's working on getting those up and running and and boeing 737s are working their way back into the flight rotations of their uh their respective carriers. So I just wanted to make that correction. I think that was what the listener was alluding to was a little unsure. So, um, but if you hear something, you, you doubt it, reach out to us, let us know. We love, you know, we do our research and, and, uh, we try and find the best resources, but sometimes it's, it's, uh, you know, that's the internet. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and we <laughs> we try m- to use the best, most reliable sources.
0: Yeah, and we still make mistakes or because, understand things incorrectly ourselves. And yeah. so we do really appreciate you writing in and telling us that we we're wrong. Like, well, let us know. We, well, we want to... On that. We want to know what the well, right thing shit. is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... So, until 2021, we hope you have... A great holiday season and we hope you stay safe
1: stay healthy and
0: until next time stay,
1: stay weird, weird america, america.